Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Hi, Michelle Martin. It is one of the biggest corporate stories of the year. Semcorp Industries saying goodbye to Semcorp Marine. It's an analogy I'm going to share now that makes sense to me. The two companies getting a divorce, you might say. Tomasic Holdings playing the role of family counselor, well, counselor and banker. The deal is meant to give a lifeline to Semcorp Marine and allow Semcorp Industries to focus on its other businesses. Is the market giving a clear verdict on the deal? What do we seem to be able to pick up from what the market is saying right now? And what could the impact of this plan be on the marine and energy sector? For the answer to those questions and more, I'm turning now to Pan Jingyi. She's a market strategist at IG. Good morning, Jingyi. Good morning, Michelle, and thanks for having me today. Great talking to you as always. Now, Jingyi, the Semcorp Industries deal is going to cost more than $2 billion. Tomasic has pledged to underwrite at least $600 million of that. The markets appear to have rendered a clear verdict on the divorce between Semcorp Industries and its soon-to-be former subsidiary, Semcorp Marine. Semcorp Marine took a dive yesterday, falling a whopping 27%. In contrast to that, Semcorp Industries jumped 37% in trade yesterday, it is up another 3% this morning. So let's start with Semcorp Marine Jingyi. Why is this deal not good news for the company? Isn't it getting a big cash infusion? Yeah, well, so um, Michelle, definitely, I think, you know, there is a bit of a concern, perhaps, you know, sadly here with regards to Semcorp Marine, just purely, I think, you know, in terms of now that Semcorp Industries, uh, in a way, did let go of Semcorp Marine, how that, you know, things are going to fare, it's very much, you know, in terms of who's going to be the one really to back this, and in this case, well, the letting go of the hand in this case, we've seen Semcorp Marine really going forth alone in this sense, moving forward, um, and I would say that, you know, to a large extent as well, the backdrop in terms of wealth for Semcorp Marine, in this case, within the um, in the offshore sector, I think things have really been not looking so up of late. And at this point of time, I think the markets are still really just reeling a little bit in terms of the uncertainty, in terms of the outlook. And I think, you know, this is reason to some extent that we've seen prices react the way it is. There has been talk that Semcorp Marine could be merged now with Keppel Offshore and Marine. What do you think? Yeah, well, so definitely in terms of, well, I think, you know, a similar team we have seen earlier before in all, um, all six, well, well, 2016 period, I think it, that really is a bit of this consolidation in terms of the, well, um, some of these players, particularly given um, the backdrop, a weaker backdrop situation, I think, you know, this consolidation team really helped to see some of the players themselves come out a little bit stronger and that, well, being better to weather this within the industry. So I think it's no surprise as well that talks of this really does come through with Capo and, of course, um, Corp here. So that uh, I think, you know, the, the the idea, of course, I think, you know, is really to see how things is going to pan out if it uh, well, does come through. I don't I don't think it's going to be a bad thing for the market to really be seeing this. Um, and I think, in fact, that could actually provide a little bit of boost as well in terms of the prices. So certainly, I think, one to watch. But really, uh, it's a bit uncertain at this point of time how things will pan out eventually. Indeed. If we talk about Semcorp Industries now, what will this decoupling mean for its business? 
Erasmus Michelle definitely a good question and the reason really as to you know explaining why prices did this surge really at this point of time I think you know what we're seeing with some court industry two dollar thirteen cents is really coming close to that pretty much four itself um, or in fact actually overshooting that so I think a lot of what the market is seeing at this point of time is well a little bit of this getting into a pure play uh, kind of well approach here with regards to um, SEMCOP industries a lot of this focus back to their infrastructure uh, back to some of the utilities I think you know it's been viewed a little bit positive much more positively as compared to well earlier having that kind of portfolio in the marine north shore side so in that sense this will actually reinstill the confidence with regards to semcorp industries and hence we are seeing prices really coming through to well uh, reflect that kind of optimism in terms of how things are expected to go on from here as well um, i think you know definitely the whole broad market picture is going to be very important but at this point of time i think this bit of a um, enthusiasm certainly helping to prop prices up Bottom line, do you think the market reaction has been overdone? What do you think of buying or selling at the current levels? Uh, so, Michelle, I do think that at this point of time, prices have already priced in the latest change. You see there are two of them parting ways and really seeing the fork in the road. Uh, but I think moving on from here, uh, I think, you know, in terms of whether this is really a bit of a buy um, call or sell call, I think I wouldn't have such strong views on this. Uh, but I do think, you know, with respect to the different uh, sectors that they are operating in, definitely with regards to SEMCOP industries, the fact that we are seeing a bit of a pickup in terms of the uh, broad economic picture, the latest enthusiasm of reopening hopes here, that's really seen to a bit of a uh, stronger stance in terms of how, you know, uh, the, the views from brokers as well in terms of whether we can actually look a little bit more into this. Uh, but in comparison, I think, you know, with regards to the SEMCOP uh, marine side of things, I would just be a little bit cautious and really watch for how prices, uh, particularly with regards to the likes of oil, some of these are going to pan out from here. We've seen oil prices actually make a little bit of an effort to get back to around $40 per barrel for the likes of brand crude. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a lot of the uncertainty in terms of demand, I think, still persists over here. So just be a little bit more cautious for that. I'm speaking with Ban Jingyi this morning. She's a market strategist at IG joining us in Money and Me. I want to turn from the marine and energy sectors to global airlines, Jingyi. Cathay Pacific is now the latest carrier to get a lifeline from its government to get it through the pandemic. It plans to raise five billion US dollars from the Hong Kong government and shareholders. While that is a lot of money, it's actually a couple billion less than what Singapore Airlines is raising. What is your take on this bailout? And do you think it will indeed help Cathay Pacific weather this storm? Will it be the same airline when the storm is over or will it need to substantially change its business? So, Michelle, this is a great question. I think, you know, on the broad picture with regards to airline, the quick and easy answer is that I think nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. Um, this, of course, falling on the fact that, you know, with regards to the fact that the, the vaccine itself is still um, not found at this point of time for COVID-19 um, and as to how well enthusiastic people are going well, are with regards to getting back onto the plane, travelling and whether the restrictions in terms of the borders are going to really see any substantial lifts. I think we have some of the news, including China receiving some of this 
distance uh, flights. But, you know, across the international travel, I think the picture is still one where, you know, you just lift up your flight radar and you see really very few of these flights really crossing uh, the borders at this point of time. So I think that uncertainty uh, is still quite a bit of an issue. Um, I think what we are seeing now with a lot of these bailouts, including Cathay Pacific, is really one of the necessity to really keep these guys running and really, I think, you know, if things do pick up, they are needed. Uh, these are the, well, key uh, carriers for each of the regions itself. So I think on that end, it's just still a bit of a wait and see with regards to how things are panning out. Um, I think, you know, with regards to Cathay Pacific, it's perhaps one of those that are facing a little bit more pressure. This coming on the back that the, well, low-cost carriers across China really, I think, have put up quite a bit of competition for a very saturated market in recent years. And for Cathay Pacific, of course, I think their uh, market... Uh, ranges very internationally, but they do not have any of this uh, advantage in terms of domestic flights as well. So I think on that end itself, really, I think this pandemic really brought quite a bit of a hit to Cathay Pacific. We know they have been really suffering quite a bit of losses already. So I think, you know, this really comes true at the time where it's very much necessary. But uh, once again, I think, you know, we've talked about one sector, the Marine Offshore, these airlines likewise, I think, is still one to be very cautious with regards to even as well some of the airlines in the U.S. have seen a bit of a jump of late with the reopening hopes. But in terms of how Cathay Pacific is going to pan out, it's really dependent on international travel coming back uh, to be that, that kind of volume once again in order to power the heat. Yeah, if you look at you know shares of airline companies in the US, they've been surging over the past week, although investors appear to have taken some profits overnight. Take the case of American Airlines, for example, up 92% over the past month. It's still down for the year, but still 92% is pretty phenomenal. Mm, so do you that. think Asian carriers like Cathay Pacific, Singapore Airlines are due to see a similar rally? Well, so Michelle, I think, you know, what we have seen in the U.S., I think it's a bit of a different picture. Um, evidently, in the U.S. market, there's been quite a bit of positive news. Some, well, do say that the U.S. jobs data from last, uh, well, last Friday itself had been a bit of a game changer mm. um, in terms of, you know, really fueling that expectation things are picking up once again. And in turn, that had also seemed to, well, I think, you know, investors picking up some of the laggards. What I do not perhaps agree with is some of them picking up some of these uh, laggards that really uh, perhaps don't really see that kind of growth potential with reopening. Um, unlike, you know, for example, your retail that might actually pick up a little bit, I think in terms of airlines, it's still a little bit of skepticism as to how things are. Mm. Those with a stronger domestic volume might be able to fare a little bit better. But overall, I think the picture is still one that's rather gloomy at this point of time. So just a little bit cautious once again. And with regards to Asia, I think likewise the situation is same. Some of these Chinese airlines definitely have that domestic market to cater to. But besides that, beyond that, the international factor I think is still uh, very much important and really brings in that kind of uh, margins for the companies. Well, you brought up jobs data, so I have to go there. On Friday, data released mm-hmm. from the U.S. <laughs> Department of Labor's Bureau of Statistics indicated what a shocker, 2.5 million jobs were added in May. And this was followed by an enthusiastic take on how the U.S. may be turning the corner. The stock market, which has shot up, bolted after the report, gaining over 700 points and referred to other positive developments. Unfortunately, 
After the footnotes of the numbers were looked at a little closer, it looks like the jobs report has been inaccurate. And the Labor Bureau of Labor Statistics knew about this for the last two months. Turns out there were nearly 5 million people who were counted as employed, even though they were not. Now, do you think investors, Jing Yi, are looking past this miscalculation of a major indicator? Well, so Michelle, I think, you know, going by the fact that this week we have seen the S&P 500 index erasing all losses for the year. And is it a NASDAQ going on to a fresh all-time high? I think that answer is yes, that the investors are really taking to the positive part of this report itself. I think, you know, definitely there's a bit of recognition that, you know, the, as you mentioned, some of these um, aspects, two of which in particular, first and foremost, I think, you know, that the fact that this is a survey itself of the households due to the COVID-19 situation, perhaps not all of these are accessed the way it used to be. Um, so that could actually be a bit of a smaller sample or the representation in this case that comes into question. And the other part you mentioned in terms of those who are well counted as employed, but in fact not, it's actually a bit of a technicality with regards to whether they are actually in a way uh, still at work despite, well, still um, being hired despite the fact that they're not actually at work itself due to this very, well, unusual time with COVID-19. Uh, but I think broadly the market also some of the other indicators, including PMIs, is showing that kind of improvement uh, from the previous months. So I think on that end itself, uh, this makes them a little bit discounted in terms of the uh, well, the technicalities on the jobs report. And investors, I think, are broadly well, really at this point still. U.S. futures are up, seeing a bit of a positivity to carrying on on hopes of recovery. Um, as we know, the stock market's a bit of a leading indicator for how the economy is broadly expected to do. And I think so far the vote has been that things are going to improve. Although I do have to caution, and I think this is really a big of a team going on, there's a lot of medium-term risk still present. Mm. I think there will be adjustment coming through, but I think certainly with regards to how and when, uh, that might take some time. This June itself, looking back into May indicators, I think there's positivity is expected to really last a little bit perhaps more in the short term. So does this about face with the you know jobs report at all impact your assessment of the U.S. economy? Well, so I think with regards to the U.S. economy, um, certainly, you know, there's the expectation. We have seen the National Bureau of the, well, the U.S. Bureau actually coming through with the uh, view that the recession that really well comes through um, since, well, the start of early part of the year. It's a short but really very deep one that we have seen so far. Uh, market really is, I think, you know, getting quite a bit of support as well coming through from the Federal Reserve. I think that... Uh, comes through as a bit of uncertainty. Certainly, there's still a lot of positive sentiment as to uh, whether the well, U.S. administration, we know the Democrats are keen, and President Donald Trump is likely keen as well, to show a little bit more support for the U.S. economy. How that amount is going to rank, I think, is uncertain, but definitely that's also keeping the sentiment up a little bit. I think broadly, the assessment in the U.S. economy is that damage has definitely been seen, and it's definitely been uh, well, likely to carry through for some time, but you know, in terms of the duration, that comes through as a bit of uncertainty. And of course, back to the vaccine issue, that's really going to be uh, one of the key items to really unlock a lot of the economic activity. So um, certainly, I think this this 
unfortunately, the word is still uncertainty and the lack of clarity um, as we move forward from here. All right. She's Pan market strategist at IG. So the Nasdaq trading at record levels appears to be on a march to 10,000, Jingyi. The Dow and the S&P 500 are approaching their earlier heights as well. For listeners who have just joined us, what is your take on US stocks now, Jingyi? Yeah, so Michelle, I think it's really one that we have seen quite a bit of enthusiasm cutting through, as you mentioned, all those uh, kind of record performance across U.S. indices does really emphasize that the hopes and sentiment is positive. Um, I think a few questions that come to mind when we talk about this. First and foremost, is it really overrunning way? It's not. I would say that perhaps uh, there could be a little bit and I think that, you know, as we talked about earlier in terms of some of the uh, those who are not performing so so well, who are not expected to perform so well with the COVID-19 lingering impact, those are getting picked up as well. I think that is rendering a little bit of need for caution. But in terms of the broad market, I think, you know, there's the a uh, little bit more measured in, uh, rise that we have seen in the U.S. market so far. Um, in terms of whether it's going to go on and continue talking up the all-time high, I think I have my doubts over here as well, just really because the economy is not functioning the way it was before COVID-19 hit mm-hmm. us. So I do think that, that, you know, prices might be actually wavering a little bit and could actually see to a bit of adjustment later on if the economic situation really does not catch up to how prices are ranking at this point of time. Uh, my view is that still to stick a little bit with those that are expected to, well, do a little bit better with the COVID-19 way that it's changed our lives, those, well, tech companies, uh, they have the one potential to really see some of these gains. And of course, I think some of the uh, e-commerce stocks, our, I think even if we do really go back to work um, well, physically, I think a lot of the way that we have uh, conducted our daily activity has been changed. It's a habitual change. So these are the ones that I think still have a lot of potential as we move forward. She's Ban Jingyi, I'm Michelle Martin, and you are listening to Money and Me. This evening, all eyes will be on the U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, who will give a virtual news conference following the Fed's June meeting. Now, Powell has a tough job in front of him. Analysts are saying that he is going to need to reassure the markets that the Fed is all in, in terms of the tools that it's using to fight this economic downturn. And yet, at the same time, he is not expected to announce any new policy. So, Jingyi, what is your take on this meeting and how can he walk such a tightrope? Yeah, so Michelle, that's going to be an interesting one. I think largely, though, for the market, uh, it could really come through as a bit of this uh, insights into the Fed's thinking. We have already seen a little bit of this uh, move before the meeting itself in terms of uh, the Fed really expanding some of this Main Street lending program. Uh, that really goes on to continue to show up the support. And I think that's been clear. Um, but moving forward, I think, you know, some of the things from the Fed we're watching definitely, you know, includes, you know, explanation as to how they view the program is going to be and how um, that itself is going to come through and measure up against the economic damage as well. Um, that will also be seen through the summary of economic projections. We know they skipped that in March itself because, well, that was also when the race to zero had been seen with the interest rates. Uh, but at the same time, they, well, due to the uncertainties, they have largely avoided making a well prediction on the economic situation altogether. This update is going to come through in the March meeting. And I think the market's really just expecting, well, that, them to reassure that interest rate is going to be held low for longer. And over and above that, just provide a bit of this view as well that the economy well, isn't certainly isn't ranking as well as 
what they had seen things were in December itself. Um, to some extent, I think, you know, definitely there's also some uh, thoughts as to how the Fed themselves may come through with a bit of a, uh, well, in terms of yields, we've certainly seen the US 10-year touch about 0.9%, and a lot of this lift off itself, how the Fed may actually want to temper a little bit of this, again, about the, the rises over there, and that has seen to a bit of a US dollar, uh, well, being actually been dragged as well. Um, I think, you know, that could actually come through as one piece to really watch, but over but beyond that, however, I think the broad situation really points to one that the Fed meeting is just a bit of an explainer. It's not going to be too much of an event risk itself. Um, so certainly, I think, one to watch and uh, well, with the market as well, I think just really expecting them to come through with that supportive stance. Mm. Well, there are two very big listings in Hong Kong this week I want to touch on. The Chinese online gaming company NetEase is raising more than 2.7 billion US dollars. E-commerce giant JD.com is expected to raise even more, about $3.7 billion. So first off, how successful do you expect these listings to be, Jingyi? Uh, so, Michelle, we're really traveling the world here. We really um, are. Certainly, <laughs> with regards to JD.com, I think, you know, that comes true at a time where there's a bit of excitement, especially with regards to the e-commerce, but also I have to mention as well, given the backdrop of how U.S.-China tensions, we really see a lot of this interest as well um, in JD.com and the likes of the WellNetEase and Alibaba is now making Hong Kong somewhere close to home, a permanent place that they want to be as well. So I think that really comes true as one of the key teams. Um, so listen, the retail portion reported to actually be 26 times oversubscribed. Uh, JD.com is a very common name. Um, it's even made more attractive, particularly during this period of time when well, we have to stay at home. And I would say that the Chinese itself is still very much cautious and continue on with this trend of online purchases. So in that sense itself, I think, you know, definitely been pushing the uh, prices, or at least the interest in this case, up. Um, I think, you know, what we have seen a little bit in terms of how Alibaba had ranked previously into December, uh, November itself, 2019, with regards to secondary listings. So there have been quite a bit of interest as well. Prices haven't perhaps moved so much thereafter, um, but I think in terms of this case over here, I think there's expectations really, I think just of the backdrop itself with JD.com, this bit of interest uh, that, that really helped to you know push up a little bit of this market um, interest, I should say. Yep. Do you think this listing, JD.com's listing, will help it narrow its valuation gap between itself and Alibaba and Amazon? Well, so I think, you know, definitely among the players in China, Alibaba, the likes of which really is well, more of the household name, um, JD.com, of course, but I think, you know, the, well, the, the, the top player there definitely is Alibaba. So I think we definitely see a bit of this discrepancy in that case. But um, the rate, I, I, I've gone honest that I don't really have a strong view perhaps in terms of whether this is going to help in terms of closing it, mm-hmm. but definitely I think it levels a bit of a playing field now that JD.com is likewise appearing in Hong Kong in a place where people know what it is, in a place where people can access it as well. So the listings come amidst rising U.S.-China tensions and talk that Chinese companies could be delisted from U.S. exchanges. In your view, is that likely to happen? And is this talk of forced delistings in the U.S. really driving the listings that we're seeing here in Hong Kong? So, Michelle, I think definitely that's a bit of a very uh, question reserved for the political analysts. I think my view so far on this issue was that there definitely have been quite a bit of trading of bubs um, in terms of whether the U.S. really is going to see to 
some of these changes in terms of the listing itself, I think it remains largely uncertain. I do think that JD.com uh, in this case is moving towards the likes of Hong Kong also comes at a time where they are interested to really see a bit of this increase in terms of funds to actually, as they noted, to expand a little bit into their e-commerce business and investments here. So that could actually come across as one of the key reasons, but of course having a bit of a security as well uh, with a secondary listing, I think definitely does help um, in terms of just uh, assuring the, the investors in this case. So um, in terms of the US-China issue, I think definitely one to watch. But so far, I think what we have seen is a bit of an improvement in terms of the um, tensions or at least based on how the market judges the near-term risk to items, how the well, US had addressed the Hong Kong security law uh, by President Donald Trump himself. And then the second thing is that despite some of these uh, initial reports of the halting of um, agriculture purchases, China had resumed soybean purchase over the past week. And I think that itself comes true at that for the market that, you know, we may not be seeing perhaps so much of these tensions really rising in the short term. And of course, if, well, the U.S. also at this time pretty much preoccupied with domestic unrest that could really see to, well, just this item taking a bit of a pause. Um, not but certainly into the U.S. election, it could once again be brought up, but in terms of whether the real um, delisting itself comes true, I think that's going to well provoke China a lot more, which I don't think the US would really perhaps want to see before the elections itself. You have been a great tour of this world tour of uh, <laughs> global markets. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Punching you there, market strategist at IG and Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.